embodiment is so critical to anti-racism work. I think it's really critical to justice work. I think rooting our spirituality in our physical bodies forces us to be attentive to the here and now. It really grounds us in the here and now. When I'm dancing or, or doing yoga or doing something embodied, I'm forced to see myself present here and now. That makes me aware of my neighbor in a way that is so much more visceral and real than when I read about it in a book. Welcome to Created Creative. I'm Dawn. And I'm Ruth. And we're both here for this yeah. intro, finally. I'm so excited to have you back, Ruth. Yeah, it feels like it's been a really long time since we actually talked to each other and weren't just texting back and forth about, right. you know, what needed to be done. And so thank you for handling the intros the last few weeks. I appreciate it. Oh, yeah. And thank you for having enough done that this project continued while you were out of the country. I know. We did a good job, didn't we? I mean, we were both all over the place and literally gone from our homes, but mm -hmm. the show continued. The show must the sh go on. Yes. We worked ahead. I don't know. That could be an episode of working ahead on projects so that you don't create a crisis oh, yes. either before or after. Oh, it's so important. And it was comforting to know that we had a few things ready to go. There was still stuff to do, but we at least right. had the interviews prepared. And there's such fun interviews coming up. But today is Julie. And before we get to her, I need to hear about Belize. I have not heard much. <laughs> the Instagram looked amazing, but tell me some details. Oh, it was so great. It ended up being 19 women in ministry who mm -hmm. went. And we all met there in Belize. Everybody kind of came from all over the country and one from Canada. Yep. And some people we didn't see till we were actually in Belize, but then some we met up with on the way, like in Minneapolis. And, okay. and so it's like the group got bigger and bigger the closer right. we got <laughs> to Belize. Right. And yeah, I couldn't have asked for it to go better than it did. Everybody got along so well. That was my favorite part. And there were a lot of good parts because the weather was perfect. The food mm -hmm. was amazing. We did all these fun things like cave kayaking and we went to a place where they make chocolate mm -hmm. and we went to visit ancient Mayan ruins, you know, so there were all these fun things. But my favorite part was just seeing all these cool women getting to know each other. I loved sitting at supper every night and just looking at everybody talking and laughing. Did you know anyone before you went? A lot of people came not knowing anybody. One of my best friends from seminary went. And then also actually a friend of mine from yoga had decided to go too. So I did know a few people and like the people who arranged the trip and whatnot. But there were quite a few people who went not knowing anybody, which I thought was really cool, too. So but, somehow you created a safe enough environment that people were like, sure, I'll leave the country and go <laughs> along with all these people I don't know. I mean, I'm sure they've traveled in general and can take care of themselves, but just being in community with unknown people. Yeah, it was there must a big have been deal. some kind of trust built. Yeah, somehow. every month in the box, I put a letter in there. So I hope they feel like they know me a little bit. And it was really mm -hmm. fun to get to talk to them and meet them face to face. Yeah. And what did you do on the trip to create community? Every day we did have a spiritual director who was on the trip, whose job it was to lead us through 
actual sessions that we did each day <laughs> where she would have a topic and it all centered around rest and renewal. And, and she was great because it was good content, but it wasn't a ton of content either because nobody wanted to sit in sessions for a long time. Right. And then just eating meals together. And we had yoga. People could come to yoga or not. People could go sit by the pool or not, <laughs> you know, there were activities they could do. And it seemed like everybody was always hanging out with somebody. And I heard somebody say, there are no mean girls on this trip. <laughs> Everybody's nice. <laughs> Everybody gets along. I love that community became your favorite thing about this because my work also, you know, I was out of town also. I was in New Orleans advertising an online community that I convene called Discern by Doing. So that Six-month course is a little bit about learning to set goals, learning to make changes in your life, but it's mostly about being in community with people who create a safe space, who are being your brainstormers and sounding board, and they get it, and there's no mean girls, just like in Belize. And then also that mm -hmm. came up with our guest today, Julie, does this embodied spiritual practice, mm -hmm. and people learn a set of movements, but her favorite part of that is the community as well. Right. Oh, I just love this interview and talking with Julie and this theology of ballet and the talk that she does about embodying. It was really fascinating. It was. So we'll share it with you. Here it is. Enjoy. Welcome to this podcast. Thank you. I am so honored that the two of you are these like formidable creative people asked me to be here. I'm really, really honored. <laughs> oh, we're so glad that you could be here. And we've never met in person. I don't know if you and Don have met, have you? No. Know? Don, I think of you a lot because don't you go to Advent Lutheran on like 93rd Street? Yes. Yeah. And so I walk by that all the time. I live on the Upper West Side and my church is on 99th in Amsterdam. I feel like we must pass each other. We are Instagram friends that are going to become real friends. <laughs> I've been an Instagram friend of yours for a while now, too. So it's fun to meet you in person and not just via Instagram. Yeah. Social media is so funny like that. You can really feel like you kind of know mm -hmm. at least a side of somebody mm -hmm. and feel maybe more connected to them than you really are. And then it's nice to really have a conversation with you because both of you on Insta, at least where I follow both of you, mm -hmm. you both are so good about putting your faces and your voices and your personalities, your characters on theme so people can really connect with you. I'm not as good at that. I feel like I know you though. <laughs> You're good. It's faith on point, just so people know. And if they want to follow, I'm point like a point shoe, like ballet. And I love that I'm seeing you like do a plongé in front of the altar or an arabesque. I'm not sure how far you were going with your tilt there. My I feel like I know your vibe. Wow, that's nice. That's encouraging. Good. Thanks. People oh, seem yes. to love these pictures of me in my church vestment, uh, in my clerical vestment, like doing a dance pose. Honestly, St. Michael's has such a gorgeous sanctuary. It's a naturally beautiful place to film in. It's fun to do that. And I like images that show the melding of dance and faith. And to me, a priest in her vestment dancing at the altar, to me, that's an image I would have loved to have seen growing up. And so it's fun to try to think of where is the spirit leading me to show this in some way. I've been doing that every now and then. And People respond to it. Julie, can you tell us when did you start dancing? Did you start as a little girl? 
Yeah, I started both ballet and piano when I was three years old. I took to both of them pretty naturally. Uh, all growing up, ballet and piano were my two things. But I would never tell my piano teacher this because I really liked her, but I always loved ballet more. I think up until recently, I'm seeing a shift in this, thankfully, but up until recently, when it came to ballet, and I think dance in general, but ballet especially, you have to start young. You got to train those muscles to turn out and do all the things that bodies don't naturally do because you keep training and progressing. And then there is either the professional exit or the off-ramp. There's just nothing recreational, amateur, enjoyable in between. I okay. knew that I was never going to be a pro and I was trained really well. My teachers are from the Pennsylvania Ballet. You know, I had some great opportunities and experiences as a kid, but it wasn't my jam. I didn't like how catty it was. I was never a competitive kid. And so I, I was like maybe 16. I forget exactly how. I was some point in high school, later high school, and I was just like, yeah, I'm done. And I stopped. But I think the gift in that was that I never lost my joy and my love for dancing because it was never a grind. It was never a competition. And then in my mid-20s, I had moved to New York. I had finished seminary. I was a lay professional for a while. I grew up in the Armenian church. I'm Armenian-American. I, I was raised in the eastern branch of the church. And I was working for the Armenian Orthodox Diocese. I was running their campus ministry program headquartered in New York City. I was like, oh, this is so cool. Maybe my presence here will show them that women in ministry is not a bad thing. I was very young and idealistic. I, I wouldn't trade that. Somebody's yeah. got to show up and try. But I, it was also I, because it was really not my calling. I was also like really depressed. And I had a therapist recommend, when were you most happy? And I was like, mm. ballet class. That's my happy place. That's just where I just feel so alive. And she was like, find a ballet class. To make a long story short, reconnected with ballet as an adult in this small little mom-pop studio that was largely for adult beginners, which really was my jam because it was so fun to watch peers of mine and people older than me like discovering it for the first time. And the teacher had engaged me at some point to say, well, I have to be out of town. Do you think you could sub for me because you clearly have the mm. dance background? And anyway, it sort of organically morphed into me teaching ballet, which I had never thought to do. I have an arts education background, but I had never thought of teaching ballet because I never danced professionally, right? And you have to mm -hmm. have all these credentials if you're going to teach other people. But she just saw the natural teacher in me because I have an education degree. And all apologies to my Lord and Savior. It was the most fun job I've ever <laughs> had in my life. That was just your spiritual play. It really <laughs> is. It really is. And I it was in teaching ballet that I started to realize that this is more than just a physical discipline. The language, the vocabulary that would come up as I was trying to explain how it felt in my body and how someone else should move their body and how you might embody this movement, like the metaphor, it's all imagery. And so much of what came up for me subconsciously, distinctively, was like really spiritual language. And so that teaching in this secular studio in Midtown started this journey of like, is this a thing or is this just me? And I think with all art, all creativity, it's never just you. And it was a long circuitous route to get to Faith on Point. But that's sort of the journey of how I started ballet and how I got to where I am now. Yeah. And so can you tell us a little bit more about Faith on Point huh. for those who may not be familiar with it? Yeah, I will say as all creative projects go, I initially wanted to call it Rev Up for Dance because I love cheesy puns and I'm a, <laughs> nice. I'm a reverend. And I was like, isn't this cute? Yeah, yeah. And I had a friend who also does some coaching and she was like, no, don't call it that. She was like, that's cute to you. It doesn't speak to a wider audience. And I was going to call this the six-week course that I developed, Faith on Point. And she was like, switch it around. If you want to teach a class, call the class Rev Up for Dance. But Faith on Point, that's what this ministry is about. It's very clarifying. And I'm glad I took her advice. But, but it is. So it was really like a 
Faith on Point was a series of fists and starts and basically trying to craft a theology of ballet and create an embodied dancing prayer practice. I have said to close <laughs> friends, uh, which you now are, I want to be the world's first ballet theologian. It's just, I yeah. want that too. I want that for you. Yes, we need that in the world. Where is that? Let's do that. Let's do that. I just have to become an academic, which I don't think I am, which is why I've always been intimidated by telling people this. But I started with a sermon series or I taught a community class and then I wrote a little bit about it. And ultimately where I, it was in, in COVID, I realized, oh, this ministry can live online and it can reach anybody who wants it. But what I did was I took myself in like September of 2020, when the world was still shuttered and shut okay. down, I went on a basically week-long silent retreat and a lot of theology books and my ballet slippers and a yoga mat just really cocooned myself for a week and let myself just get into the flow and live into it and dive into it. And basically at the end of that week, Faith on Point was born. The sort of basis of it is a six-week course that teaches ballet as a spiritual practice. What I realize and what I like, what I hope to write more about and dive more into is that there are really common touch points between ballet and theology. So something like grace, reverence, reverence that you've taken a ballet class, our posture and turnout, the way we physically hold ourselves. There's a lot in, especially like in Paul's letters about our spiritual posture, so like posture and turnout, creativity. There's these things that are so fundamental to who we are as Christians and so fundamental to who we are as ballet dancers. And so the idea is that it uses dance to help bring up those spiritual truths in a different way, in a more embodied way. My hope is that for folks who take the class, that it's a practice they can take with them. And what I teach movement that hopefully you can do on your own. If you need an embodied practice that gets you more into the zone of grace, gets you more thinking about posture, our bodies speak to us. Our bodies tell us so much. God speaks to us through our body is the only way God really can speak to us, right? Our mind is still in our body. Our senses are still part of our body. All these ways that God speaks to us all really come through the body. Yeah, that's the crux of for me what faith and point is. It's where ballet and theology are set. Kind of got goosebumps when you were talking about how they're so similar, but people wouldn't think that they were similar at all. But yet oh, you draw those threads and I just love that. That's beautiful. I also like how it's your whole body, because I think Lutherans and Episcopalians have some overlap, at least in the stereotype of being from the neck up. And like clapping is a little bit of a question, let alone use your body like dance. Yeah. Every time I have tried to get the congregation to move or clap, I end up just making an ass of myself. People just will not do it. They're like, oh, look at our cute little priest having fun. What do you say to someone when you get pushback? The question I get a lot from folks is, oh, it's like liturgical dance. And I'm like, no, this is not no. at all. Not in a bad way. Like, I think liturgical dance is awesome mm -hmm. and beautiful. Right. But I, it's it, another it, thing. in some ways makes me sad that people's only frame of reference for the ways that dance mm -hmm. and church can intersect. And mm -hmm. liturgical dance is for the purpose of praise, the purpose of worship, right? Like liturgical dance is always in the context of worship, whereas Face on Point is in the realm of the personal, like it's, it's in the communal. I love that this happens in class settings and cohort settings, but also it's meant to be something that you take home and do yourself. It's meant to be like you wake up in the morning and, oh yeah, I Julie taught this in the class and I'm going to do that reverence combination. That's a great way to wake up in the morning and pray or whatever that is. That's the idea. I want it to be something that people can return to and use. Because I think it connects us to God. I think the more we're connected to God through creativity and through beauty, the more I think that opens us up. It opens up my capacity for love. I can be a bit persnickety and a bit cranky. And dance always softens me. 
I hope it can do that for other people. I love that it's not to be observed. It's participatory. Yeah. So then it's a personal devotion thing done in community. Yeah. Not everybody is going to engage God through dance. This is one way of helping people to see a more sort of broader understanding of how we can engage God through our bodies. Not everybody has to do it through dance. But I do hope that folks would be more open to how they can be attentive to the voice of God through their body in some way, whether it's yoga. A lot of people love yoga or running or I have a friend who says golf is his church. I think that is as much about just like how he gets to move. He enjoys the movement of golf, but also he likes the community he does it with. That's fine. You don't have to dance, but I hope you'll use your body in some way or you'll be attentive to how God can speak to you through your body somehow. Because I do think The disembodiment of our spirituality is so Western and Puritan and capitalist and all of that. I think embodiment is so critical to anti-racism work. I think it's really critical to justice work. I think rooting our spirituality in our physical bodies forces us to be attentive to the here and now. It really grounds us in the here and now. When I'm dancing or, or doing yoga or doing something embodied, I'm forced to see myself present here and now. That makes me aware of my neighbor in a way that is so much more visceral and real than when I read about it in a book. Thank you. Capitalism thrives on ignoring the needs of your body to keep working for the bottom line. Yeah, I would love to say ballet will save the world, but I think Dostoevsky already said something like beauty will save the world and he wasn't wrong. Ballet is part of it. Right. Ballet and other beautiful things will save the world. And that's the thing. Everybody loves yoga and I'm not trashing yoga. I love me some yoga. And it's so different. I always do sun salutations and then I transition into some like plies and porta bras and releves. And I like my ballet alignment too in the morning. So I do both when I wake up as part of my like morning prayer practice. And they're just, they feel so different in the body. I love how yoga Mm -hmm. connects to breath, right? And there's so much Holy Spirit we can Mm -hmm. go into with connecting things Mm -hmm. to breath. But requires a sort of an openness, right? Like you have to hold yourself in a way that just for me aligns me differently. And then just the way it flows through the body and the way it's all about holding shape and creating beauty. It's all about creativity and beauty. And I, for me, that is so essential to the practice too. It's not just learn these poses. It's make something beautiful with your body. Some people would rather do that with a paintbrush. Some people would rather do that through a piano keyboard or with their voice or on the stage of the theater. But in this case, not just what you do with your body, but it's the beauty that comes from it that I think is so central and integral to making it a spiritual practice. The beauty and is you know, shared. It's not individual. That's the arts in general, right? I mean, I don't okay. think people create to keep it to themselves. I think people create because they want to share it. It's deeply vulnerable and scary to share it, but it's also... And both of you are such creative. I'm sure like big picture, big purpose. And with consecrate, you both probably at like at the outset were like, oh God, I hope people like this. Here we go. Here we go. Yeah. 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 Who knows? And And there's always, oh, you're going to get some pushback. Well, (laughs) always. I think that's healthy and good. I never mind it when people are like, oh, whatever, not for me. Good. Then that means I'm being clear with what I am. Because if you say, oh, I see this and it's not for me, at least that means that people, for what I think it is, it's being negated. When Faith on Point started, I had that like nail biting moment of, oh God, there it goes. I hope people don't hate it because it felt at that point, like felt like I might be the only person in the world who this makes sense to or thinks okay. this is cool. And then I got 
such a volume of response. All I did was I shared it in one place on Facebook, I think, or two places. And I got 25 responses or 30 responses. And I was like, that's three cohorts. I don't like more than 10 people in a cohort because I like that smaller, intimate. So I mm-hmm. like filled up my cohorts. And when I started them, I was so nervous because I still was like, oh, God, I hope people get what they think they're signing up for. And I had such a broad range of people there. Like one of the people who took the class was a professional dancer and taught mm. ballet. And then other people had never danced before. And I was like, I don't know how to shoot to the middle of this. How do, how do you teach this one? And I think there was a way that I was so nervous Nelly about it and trying to be all things, all people. But you'll learn a lot as you go on. It's always in rough draft form at the beginning. And then what I realized was the fact that people liked the practice, they liked the face on point. What people really liked and I think got value out of was the community, was doing this with other people, even on a screen. I think even the Zoom thing helped because dance is so vulnerable. Like when you're moving your body in these ways, especially something that is a performance art. And especially if you've seen it performed, you know what it should look like. You don't look like that. There's all these layers of judgment that come in. And when it is just you in a room, I always let people put this position, the screen wherever they want. It's not a class. I'm not giving you correction, right? This is not turnout or straighten your knee a little more. I'm not doing that. And so I want people to feel comfortable moving their body. So I let them just, if you just want me to have your neck up, that's fine. And I think there is something, there's some freedom in people being able to be like, you know what? I'm in, I'm in a virtual room with people. But also, okay, no one's watching. I don't just feel like an idiot. And there is something kind of liberating about that. And it does form community. And what I'm realizing is that the most meaningful moment, at least so far over the last three years, have been those moments where community has really been salient in the experience. There was one class where we were, it was a class on reverence and we were doing a combination in reverence. And one of the things I had learned was simplify it, just simple phrases of choreography. You don't need to do like a whole huge center combination. Right. In my ballet background, I'm like, people, people obviously are going to want more. They're going to want it to be meaningful, but people just want to be able to do it. So mm-hmm. I had learned to reduce and simplify. And we had done this together. It's really more of a physio divina that we lean into. So it's a repeated phrase. And by the end, one of the people was like, I just want to run into my church because she was a priest of a parish and she lived next door to the church. I just went like, yeah. into the sanctuary and do that on my own like, in the sanctuary. And everybody else on the call was like, oh, my God, yes, that was so beautiful. I can't wait to do that on my own. And that was a communal moment, right? Everybody had that experience together and they all validated, oh, I can't wait to do this. And it's those moments where I go, oh, yeah, we are dancing together and we are learning a practice together. And even when I take that practice and I do that on my own, that's rooted in a community. And then, of course, at the end of the course, people are always like, how do we stay in touch with each other? You need an alumni group that you're dancing with once a month. You know, you're the second person in a month to say that. So to start to think about that. Listen to what people are asking for. Yeah. Okay. I want to talk about that because you two. Let's do it. I'm interested in this. We'll have both your creative entrepreneurial ministry is you, right? Theoretically, if someone else wanted to buy out Consecrate or buy out Big Picture, Big Purpose, they could, but it was worth being in it. And whenever it's being advertised, it's your faith. And I'm aware of that with Faith on Point. Like it's very much right now, my faith attached to it. I'm starting to expand it a little bit. I've invited some other guest teachers to join in from time to time. And that's been great. But I'm curious, so maybe this is a question for Don, but both of you, I'm curious about when you're creative and you have these ideas, the balance between this is me being creative and this is my thing and it's just going to live with me and die with me versus I'm creating something that I hope has lasting power. And like, at some point, do I share it? How do I make 
face on point the thing and not Julie the thing. I will say I have developed more and more products that could stand alone. I do a six-month e-course, Discern by Doing. So I've created this container where they're getting videos every week. There's a curriculum. They're moving through this same system together, but then a live component where everyone takes it their own direction. And while I was on maternity leave, someone else did lead the groups. There was enough of a structure and she had gone through it and we communicated a lot. So that could spin off into its own thing. Ruth actually told me it should be a book. Oh, I need to think about that. But I mean, the videos are me. Yes. But I would love for there to be 100 people taking that. And I need to have all kinds of small group leaders. Yeah, Julie, as you were talking, even before you brought this question up, I was thinking about how what you do, especially with the community aspect. And it would be really cool if you wanted to do the practice, but you lived somewhere away. If you could franchise out, you know, there's different faith on point is that you can go and you can participate in the practice. So if you can train, raise up other dancer leaders to lead it. Yeah. The community aspect is so important, I would imagine. I've never danced, so this is really cool for me to listen to. The only frame of reference I have is going to yoga, and I love yoga, but I know how important my studio and the people there are to that practice. And anyway, I could see this becoming something that you raise up other leaders to do as well. I wonder if you follow like a fitness model where not a fitness model like a human, but the model they use, (laughs) someone makes up some kind of fitness thing, and then there's a train the trainer, people come to New York or wherever, they learn it, and then they're licensed to do it in their hometown. Yeah, and so that all makes it about the thing, not about me. Yeah, which was the question, right? Yeah, yeah, that's helpful. I love this. Is that something that you're interested in, is the idea of how to make it about faith on point and not just this is Julie's baby. Are you feeling drawn toward making it something that other people can lead to? I am. That's been part of the growth of the ministry in the last year is realizing that I've really been feeling the Holy Spirit pull. The next thing you need to do is give this away, which is kind of exciting. And I've started to do that. And the other thing, I have an ongoing Tuesday night class. That community, it's so strong. It's a small little community, but they are there every week and all become Facebook friends with each other. And out of that group, there's one person so far that's been raised up as basically a substitute teacher and she's Mm -hmm. great and I have informally trained her but your question was do I want this to go away from me yeah it feels like what you have to do as a person who's creative and likes to put your stuff out there and hope that people join in so much of that happens on social media and so much of social media is about personal connection and I hate constantly putting myself on social media like I know that's what we have to do But if I'm going to follow the models that everybody tells me to follow, it feels like I'm just glorifying myself constantly and just putting myself mm-hmm. out there. I know that's not what other people are doing, but it's how right. it feels to me. And okay. I thought, gosh, it'd be so nice for this to just be about the thing we do and not rely on me being interesting, me, Julie, being like the person people follow. Right. I don't like cult of personality. Yeah. So then it does become having stories from these Tuesday night people, getting their face into the feed, sharing the overall vibe of the product, Faith on Point. So that's the messaging is getting these other people who will have a similar experience, but aren't you. And then having it go even bigger means codifying what it is. Like you would have to develop a curriculum or a framework that you can sell. So it is the thing, even if you're not there. Yeah, I hope there's a book in there. The idea is there'd be a book in there, right? And then that was, in a lot of ways, the framework. Yes. Does this feel real? 
and you're ready to do something about it? Or are we still kind of idea bounce around vibe? It feels real until I look at my very busy schedule. And then I go, I don't know when I would do all of this. Because it feels like to do all these things would be, like, I almost want a sabbatical. If I could just have a mm. chunk of time, it doesn't have to be yeah. a year, but it needs to be more than three months. my Monday, right? I have Mondays off. Right. <laughs> right. So a cu- couple of weeks, couple of months. A couple of months sounds really spoiled, but even if I took two weeks of vacation and went to a cabin somewhere. Yeah. It feels real. Like I need to really carve out the time just to focus on. In the Episcopal system, can you ask for a sabbatical? I have not yet served in the parish long enough to earn a sabbatical. I think the current setup is one of those two weeks of sabbatical for every year work. So yeah, I've been at St. Michael's for four years now, so I could take eight weeks of sabbatical at some point. Maybe that's what I do in 2024. Yeah. What's the first step? Is it just talk to the vestry or what's the first step? Make a proposal? First step would definitely be talking to my boss. I'm the associate rector, so I'd have to go to the rector and just work that out with her and At this point, it would be in 2025, probably, because if you're going to take a sabbatical, they have to approve money in the budget to pay for your replacement. It would be all of that legwork in the background for to set up the structure at the church. Then certainly we're going to go to Lily and be like, hi, give me lots of money, please. Yeah. With the Lily grant, though, you know that they would pay for your replacement. You can write that into the proposal, but would pay for it to cover your position while you're gone, too. Yeah. When I got my sabbatical, it was the only way I knew I would get it is if I got a Lily Grant and my congregation was more than happy to let me go. If you know, Once you had the money. <laughs> yeah, once I had the money. Yeah. I wanted to add, though, too, this is so unique. I could totally see the Lily people would love it, but they also really want you to get rest and for it to be nurturing for you and not to just be creating something, yeah. too. You'd have to be sure to work in something for yourself. Go study under your favorite ballet teacher. Trust me, there are so many dancers I follow on Instagram that I personally find inspiring. There are just some dancers who really have that spiritual edge to them. And you can see that when they dance, there is something for them that comes alive that is transcendent. And those are the ones that I follow that aren't just about, look at all these pirouettes that I can do and look what an amazing dancer I am. There's one I follow in particular. Her name is Aji Sissoko. She dances with Alonzo King's Lines Ballet. She's Senegalese from Germany. And I have just loved, first of all, when she dances, it's just like watching velvet stretch. She's incredible. She makes the most gorgeous lines and shapes with her body. But one of the things that I've really loved is that she has been, um, for the last couple of years, diving into her own Senegalese heritage and creating work that bring in her own identity. And that has been so beautiful. She had a a small performance in New York City last summer and I got to go see it. And she's so loving and generous. I got to chat with her for a little while afterwards and that just confirmed for me. Yeah, she's a professional ballerina. She brings in the kora, which is almost like a guitar-like African, West African instrument. Her heritage is Sissoko. They are from the griot um, storytelling people. And so she's all about bringing in the music and the storytelling as part of this dance performance. And it was like art that explores identity is so meaningful. So she is someone I would have Lily pay for classes with because as an Armenian American too, the arts, dance and music are so important to Armenians too. Different kind of dance, obviously, but that's a facet that I know I need to explore more too for myself is how like my own ethnic identity merges more with my vocation, with my ministry. So yeah, that would be super cool too. My brain is still on. I don't want you to wait a year and a half right. to think about how to expand your business. Is there anything 
that can be done in an hour, like just one inch forward that you could do or think about or sketch out about getting this faith on point as a separate entity to change the world, basically. I think a good step is to really codify the methodology. Because right now, if I'm more certainly more intentional and focused about it, yeah. but really put the methodology into writing a little more clearly. I do have handouts that people get every week. So there are like readings for the class that I teach. And that would probably be a good first step. So if I wanted to then invite other people to teach these classes, actually, the first thing I want to do, Don and Ruth, after yeah. putting the sort of instruction manual together is to then gather the folks I would want to train, right? And just be like, hey, can I leave this course just with you? I think that's what I would do next and then go from there. Yeah. So maybe in the next two weeks, you write down this whole path. That would be fun. First, I codify, then I gather the people, then I apply to Lily or whatever. Can you make the plan in the next two weeks? Yes, I can. I don't like Do you need three weeks? Accountable. We're fine with it. Do you need three weeks? You know what? No, I will have this plan down. The fair thing to do. Okay, so one page business plan two weeks from now. Emailed to Ruth. I was just thinking about on TikTok. It's some dance, like a dance fitness, but not like ballet, but like hip hop kind of dance. They make all these TikToks and and everyone's like, oh, where do I come to this class? And then they, well, we're based in blah, 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 but we have a new franchise coming up in all the time. They have new franchises popping up and people see the dance and how much fun they're having. And they're like, oh, where is this? And I just know Faith on Point is going to be the same way. Oh, this is beautiful. Where can I learn this practice? You're so encouraging. Because well, it'll be perhaps done in sanctuaries or somewhere if it could be connected mm -hmm. to space. Yeah. It makes me so happy that this is part of the conversation of this podcast now to have this is such a different form of creativity than we've had yet. So thank you for sharing it. Thank you so much for thank you for being here. Oh my God. Thank you for inviting me. Thank you so much for joining us today on Created Creative. Please follow us on social media. We're on Instagram and Facebook at Created Creative Podcast. Please also follow, rate, and review us wherever you get your podcast. And hey, go create something. Go create something!